Welcome to Education Talks, I'm David Burke. Elizabeth Scott is a language and literature teacher and head of department at an international school in Singapore. As a local working in an international school, she provides interesting insight into the importance of international schools connecting with their local communities. Elizabeth is also involved in a DEIJ collaborative involving teachers from different international schools in Singapore. Well, hello, Liz. Welcome to Education Talks. Uh, where are you joining us from? Thanks for having me on the show, Dave. Um, I'm calling in from Singapore. Uh, we're just telling you how hot it is right now. We were exchanging temperature information and it's really, really hot and sweaty over here. Yeah, for Singapore, uh, it's, it's always hot, isn't it? But this is the sort of more uh, the hottest part of the year, I guess you could say, around April. Um, I'm lucky enough to be in Shell Harbour, New South Wales, where temperature outside is a very nice 19 degrees and um, unfortunately not sunny today. It doesn't quite look like this background that's behind me. But uh, yeah, great to have you. Great to catch up. Um, I'm wondering if you could just start off, though, by, by telling us about your career and in education, what brought you to where you are today working in an international school? Yeah, well, um, I actually didn't wasn't always in education. Um, I started my career in journalism uh, in the U.S., uh, where I went to uh, university. Um, and then when I came back home, I realized that being a journalist here was not quite the same because it's quite a small, quiet little city. Um, and it wasn't quite what I was looking for. Um, and it gave me a little bit of an opportunity to reset and really think about what I want to do with my life. Um, and of course, I realized quite quickly that my passion really is in literature and books and reading. And, um, you know, I get had a bit of a list of um, you know, options that I have. And I realized that a purest form of being able to work with literature is actually in teaching. And so here I am. Um, I worked in a local public school here in Singapore for a little while. Um, and it was there that I was actually introduced to the IB um, because it was sort of a half and half kind of school where we did the, the O levels uh, uh, as well as the IB. And so that was my first taste of it. And I really liked the way in which the IB uses inquiry teaching. And I found that really lends very well to the way you can teach literature as a subject. Um, and I just got hooked. And uh, from there, moved on to uh, IB World School, where it's PYP all the way up to the DP. Um, and um, it's been a really great learning experience for me. So here I am. Excellent. Now, what was it originally that made you decide to become a teacher? What was the, 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 the thing that really pushed you in that direction? Um, becoming a parent was the biggest push factor for me, to be honest. Um, it really made me think about uh, what is important in terms of promoting literature. And, um, you know, as a lot of Eng us English teachers do, we have this romantic idea of using books to teach kids about how to be a human. And, and uh, I think that, that actually there is a lot of truth in that. Um, and I really wanted that for my own children and saw the importance and then thought that that was the way that I could give back to society and give back to the world by introducing uh, children to um, uh, different kinds of books and how it can possibly give them more insight into uh, how they can be in the world. Well, as someone passionate about uh, literature, you know, what, what are you reading at the moment? I've got a few things going on at the moment. Uh, I'm For my own personal interest, I'm reading a novel called Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez. Uh, it's a horror novel, which is not my first usual first choice. Uh, but it, what I really found interesting about this novel is that it's uh, an allegory of the Argentinian dictatorship 
during the 90s uh, and, uh, you know, the atrocities that happened there. And this author kind of brilliantly used the horror genre to really uh, highlight this pol political issues that came from the time and, and the impact that it has on Argentinian society today. Uh, and what I find really interesting about it is how something that is sort of almost fluffy, like a horror genre, can actually be used to make such um, uh, salient points about um, the current world that we live in. So uh, there's that. Um, and then on the other side, I'm also reading The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter because that's the next book I'm teaching. So this is my fifth reread of that book now. Oh, wow. Now, you're also involved in a, a DEIJ book club. Can you tell us about that? Like, how did, how did that, uh, how did you get involved in this? Uh, the book club is sort of an accidental offshoot of a wider uh, DEIJ collaborative that I've taken part in here in Singapore um, because uh, DEIJ was sort of a new hot topic issue in Singapore this school year. Uh, and my school has actually started um, a DEIJ committee, which I happily joined because it was um, a really good thing to do and grow in, in, in my opinion. Um, and from there, uh, you know, a lot of international school teachers across Singapore were part of that. And then we were using that opportunity to connect and learn with e learn from each other uh, and learn with each other. Uh, we've had some really great speakers come in to talk to us about different DEIJ related issues. Uh, and uh, from there, I thought I actually read this book on my own uh, from an, a local author called Tio Yen. Uh, the book is called This is What Inequality Looks Like, uh, which I highly um recommend if, if you're interested in or at all um, because I think that she really does a great job of painting a picture of class divisions and discrimination and how it can impact um, different things like um, uh, education in Singapore and accessibility to it and, and stuff like that. So I thought it was such an interesting book of essays that I suggested it as a, a book club uh, with the DIJ. Uh, committee. And then from there, we've had a growing number of uh, participants from different schools across Singapore that have joined us. And, uh, you know, we're um, actually reading our second book together right now. We've actually decided to stay as a group and continue reading and learning from each other. Uh, it's it's really, really great um, thing to do. It's always nice to connect with other teachers and other colleagues um, um, from Singapore and also uh, just fellow readers as well. So, yeah, it's been a really, really great experience. Well, that sounds like a great uh, experience, great initiative. I, now, that's outside of the classroom, inside the classroom. Uh, what are some ways that you share your, your passion for literature with students? Uh, this is an interesting question because I personally feel that uh, what I do in my lessons every time isn't always the best way to get kids to be passionate about literature um, because, um, you know, just for context, I teach MYP and DP Lang and Lid. Uh, I have taught uh, grade six all the way up to DP, DP2, but um, this for the past two years, um, I've, my load has mostly been focused on uh, high school. And from with that, it also means that a lot of what I do in class is very assessment uh, focused because it's the nature of the beast. Um, and uh, when we get to high school, um, it's, it's um, an interesting situation because the kids become a lot more practical and they are very much more exam and assessment um, driven, which I don't think is unique to my school. I think that this is probably worldwide, um, especially when we get to closer to the DP when there are lots of high stakes exams uh, 
you know, uh, in place. Uh, and of course, when students are uh, to get to that point, uh, the reading tends to drop off. Uh, it's, it's a real shame because I've seen some of my best readers from middle school uh, come up to high school and then suddenly don't have time to read. Uh, and then from there, you know, if they all decide to become doctors and, you know, whatever, lawyers, um, then they really start to not understand uh, or see the relevance that literature has in their lives. Uh, and so what I try to do is to just remind them here and there that reading can actually not only be a fun thing uh, and that, hey, you used to like reading back in middle school. There's no reason to stop now. There are lots of books out there. Um, so my main uh, strategy really is to try to introduce new books to the students all the time uh, and try to connect it to their um, uh, realities. Uh, so often um, a lot of the high school students, especially when they're girls, uh, were quite interested in the memoirs that came out during the Me Too movement. Um, they, they really connected with that as an as a issue that's relevant to them, especially when they're thinking about becoming adults and living as uh, alone when they move away to university. So uh, they've taken an interest in that and I try to develop their interest by saying, hey, you know, this is this is a great title you might want to check out. Um, and of course, being able to recommend books to students effectively is really by getting to know them as people. Um, if you develop a strong relationship with the students and understand what their concerns are, what their interests are, then it's easier for you to be able to hand a book to them at the right moment uh, and at the right at the right time that would really speak to them. So I try to make that a big part of my uh, teaching practice as well, uh, but also smaller things like a book week events that we have in my school. Uh, it's actually happening next week from, from the time of recording. Uh, we've mm -hmm. got really fun activities. It's for the whole school from the kinders all the way up to uh, the DP students. We have a host of local authors coming to speak to them about writing stories or promoting books. Uh, we have nonprofits here to talk about how you can use literacy as a way to develop service projects. Um, and we also have, of course, fun stuff like matching teachers to their favorite books, uh, character, book character dress up, parades, and other fun stuff like that. Uh, so even though it's just a week in a year, I think that is a really valuable opportunity to get kids to really remember uh, how fun reading can be. Um, and also on a small side, uh, a small side little thing that I do, uh, which is very, very easy to do, uh, which is that I actually print out little uh, icon pictures of the book book covers of the titles that I'm currently reading. And I'll stick them up on a small little whiteboard that's um, in my classroom, uh, just to say Miss Scott is currently reading this book. Uh, and I think that uh, I don't I don't sort of, hey, students, look at this. But mm -hmm. what it has done is that the, the colorful pictures actually just draw the students' attention. And as the board grows, you can see that even though the students don't engage with me uh, personally about the board, I know that they're looking. Uh, and in fact, I can, I've proven it uh, by having a group of alumni come back to visit us one, uh, one year. And um, I saw a bunch of them taking photos of my board because they needed new recommendations when they go off to university. So I think it's a bit of a success story. And I think that anything that gets kids um, to continue their reading habit after they leave our school is just, um, it's just a great, great um, achievement, really. Yeah, I think you're setting a really good example there for the students. I think it's those things that really have the biggest impact. Um, so, well, that's excellent. Um, 
Now, I wanted to talk as well about uh, you being a Singapore local working in an international school. Um, I'm wondering what perspectives do you bring to the school community and, you know, why should international schools seek to hire uh, local as well as international staff? Um, well, I think that one of the simplest reasons, of course, is that a lot in most curricular guides, uh, subject guides in the IB, uh, we actually are required to include a local component uh, in um, uh, the, our curriculum. And I think that while that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to hire local teachers, I think that sometimes it can really add a lot of insight into um, uh, the curriculum that uh, you might not otherwise get if it's, it's if you don't have local teachers in your school. Uh, because, I mean, even just speaking from my own experience, if I were to be teaching in Australia where you are, for example, and I might be able to, as a teacher, and do the professional thing, which is to look up what Australian history is and, and um, try to teach it and, in my classes and include it in my curriculum, it's I always will just fall short of being having that lived experience of being a local and understanding uh, the culture. Uh, and so I think that, um, you know, while I might have a biased perspective being a local hire in an international school here, but I really think that it is quite important because I feel too that a lot of international schools, um, and I think here in Singapore in particular, can sometimes exist in a sort of bubble where um, the expat community tend to uh, be very tightly knit with each other without a lot of opportunity to uh, get to know uh, the local population, uh, you know, for some, somehow, right? And I think that even just existing in the school context is enough for kids to be able to feel uh, especially if they're new to Singapore, just not intimidated to actually talk to the local um, community, a local population, and make friends with uh, local students uh, and, and all that. Um, so I feel that while in my school, while we have uh, quite a number of local hire, I think that we are still in the process of growing towards being more closely knit with um, the local community. Uh, and there are many opportunities in the IB program that actually facilitates that sort of connection building. Um, and I think that we just need to find that opportunity. Uh, and I feel like COVID rules loosening up is, is really our, our key uh, and our signal to start doing that um, better, I think. Now, it's uh, obviously uh, a bit more common in, in Singapore, but do you have any advice for international schools looking to increase the representation of, of local staff and maybe you know, that advice for uh, you know other countries as well absolutely uh, i think in singapore uh, like you said dave it's easier because um, singaporeans uh, all speak english as a first language uh, and so the language barrier uh, and in fact in many ways the cultural barrier uh, is often um, not really um, uh, too much of a hindrance because uh, Singaporeans can fit into an international school context very easily. I don't have an issue as a Singaporean uh, getting along with my colleagues, uh, and I don't see that being a problem for many of our uh, Singaporean uh, staff and teachers uh, in my school as well. Uh, but for other countries where they don't speak English as a first language, it might pose quite a bit of a barrier uh, in terms of uh, the school's um, uh, ability to hire local staff. Uh, so I think that um, this was something that came up in a few of our DEIJ committee meetings uh, where uh, recruitment practices for different schools uh, might 
need a bit of a, a update or at least a review um, just to take into consideration how you can better include the local uh, community in your in your in your staff um, perhaps um, uh, requiring native speakers uh, of English is unrealistic if you live in a country where um, that is not the case. Uh, there are many, many people who uh, speak English as a second language, but speak better than a lot of native speakers do. Uh, you know, some of our EAL students at our school certainly have proven that point. <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, therefore requiring native speakers uh, is ultimately um, you know, according to a, a kind of DEIJ perspective, might actually end up being very discriminatory. So perhaps reviewing that criteria would be a good place to start. Um, but also in general, just looking at what your school really is uh, looking for in terms of the kind of teachers that you want. Um, requiring IB training can sometimes also be unrealistic in um, uh, different countries. And in fact, it is the, the case here in Singapore uh, because the local school system here doesn't practice doesn't do the IB and there are only a few um, Singaporean schools that do teach the IB and only in the DP and so if you're looking for local staff and requiring IB training then you're pretty much guaranteed not to be able to do that so instead of that perhaps thinking about uh, what kind of teaching philosophy you want your teachers to have uh, how they see relationship building with students uh, and uh, other sort of more philosophical uh, points to consider in terms of what you want in a teacher would be a better place to look for uh, when you are interviewing teachers rather than just looking for a, a checkbox of IB training because that closes the doors for quite a lot of people. Um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of like trying to unravel some of that inherent bias that's there in some of those questions which are, are well meant but, but considering a broader perspective of how that might be, as you say, closing the doors to a more sort of uh, diverse community. Really great advice. Um, so, can I add one more thing, Dave? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, as a, a side point, uh, what would be really interesting too is that even though in Singapore, we all, it, it, who have been educated in Singapore, we all do uh, English medium schooling and we all speak English as a first language. But I think that on official documents, I don't think that English is actually considered our first language. So if you really want to look for um, uh, a native English speaker, I might not even count as mm -hmm. one. Yeah, so I've actually experienced this um, uh, when I have uh, looked at other countries as well, where I wasn't able to say that I speak English as a first language, even though I have an English degree, and I do speak English as a first language, and uh, I was schooled, um, you know, educated in English, I wasn't able to say that. And therefore, that really can become a real hindrance in terms of uh, people that are not perhaps from um, countries like the US or the UK or Canada um, to be able to get um, jobs in international school because of that inherent bias, as you have pointed out. So in Australia, we don't have an official language. Um, it just sort of highlights uh, what what reasons would an Australian be picked over someone from Singapore? It's, it's purely just a bias. Um, right. So excellent, excellent point. Um, now, uh, I wanted you to perhaps share a moment in your career that you're particularly proud of. Oh, um, well, I don't really have any one particular moment, even though I have to say that uh, when I was invited to be the graduation speaker for the my year 13 students at my school, uh, 
uh, two years ago, uh, it was um, really, in my opinion, a great honor for me. Um, what was really interesting about that was this was a COVID graduation that we had. So it was quite a, a surreal experience where I uh, had to deliver my graduation speech for the students uh, and uh, everyone was wearing masks and the parents were all sitting one meter apart. It was very, very surreal, but it didn't remove um, the great honor that I felt from being able to uh, represent um, the students and be able to commemorate the time that I had with them. So that was very meaningful um, to me. But in my opinion, in terms of being um, uh, achievements that I'm proud of, is really just being able to put books in kids' hands every day and being able to read books with them and really just um, give them that time outside of the math homework that they have to do and the exams and the stresses of being teenagers in this crazy world uh, and university applications and all that, just to be able to uh, uh, talk about books and and reading and that's just something i treasure as a big part of my job great now is there anything that you're looking forward to at the moment maybe something you're working on or some professional learning anything that you're uh, excited about oh absolutely i think that my uh experience thus far with the deij uh collaborative in school has really given me quite a lot of food for thought um you know and i thought it was interesting that you were also asking about my experience as being a local hire in the school because i have been really working on bringing in more singaporean literature into the curriculum uh, and trying to uh, get the kids and uh, the teachers who aren't singaporean to um try to give it a chance and, and try something new uh, and, and read something that is part of the place that they are living in at the moment. Uh, so that was one of the big projects that I've got in terms of my um, current uh, work with my own school's curriculum. Um, but I'm really hoping to develop more uh, in that on that front because um, the DIJ PD that I had really uh, gave opened my eyes to talk about how curriculum can play such a vital role in um, educating students about um, ideas of inclusivity and uh, diversity and how they can um, uh, think about their place in the world uh, when they when they leave school. So I really want to continue looking in that and using my um, passion for literature um, as a way to um, try to build that, um, that way of thinking uh, for the students. Now, Liz, I can imagine that there'd be listeners and viewers who uh, listening to this interview might like to get in touch with you. Uh, what's the best way that they can do that? I would love to get in touch with uh, any teachers uh, who are interested in talking about Lang and Lit or even just reading in general or DEIJ. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter and I will give um, Dave the links which you can include in the show notes. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. Consider it done. Now, Liz, it's been wonderful to catch up again. Always enjoy our discussions. And uh, thanks so much for being on Education Talks. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave, for having me. Uh, it was really nice being able to catch up with you again. Uh, and hopefully we'll have many more opportunities to chat again. Education Talks is an Ed Events production for the Ed Events community. You can keep up to date with the development of the community by registering on the website at ed.events.